Hello and welcome to the How To Academy podcast, the weekly show from London's home of big thinking. I'm Vas Christodoulou, one of the curators of our programme. This week's guest is among the most celebrated and powerful young voices in contemporary culture. Ursa Daly Ward shot to fame in her early 20s as a model and actor, but quickly established a reputation as a poet and storyteller of rare honesty and vulnerability. Her new book, The How, is a gentle invitation to remove our filters and see and feel more of who we really are. She was joined in conversation by poet and essayist Selena Godin, whose debut novel, Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, not only has the best title of any book published last year, but is also quite simply one of the most original and exhilarating pieces of fiction I've read. But that's more than enough from me. Here are Selena and Ursa. So we're going to be talking about your amazing book, which I've thoroughly enjoyed. I really liked listening to it in audiobook, and I like reading it too. I think above and beyond what I liked about it was I wished it had been available when I was a girl. I think it would have really helped me like, as a young poet. I really struggled with a lot of the things you're talking about. And so I was so glad that you'd you know, put them on paper and just done this beautiful, beautiful book. I think it's amazing. So before further ado, do you think you'll give everyone like a little taster yeah. of, um, of the introduction or a little bit from the beginning? And then I've got many, many questions, pages and pages of questions for you. Awesome. Okay, so I will I'll read the first section of the introduction just to give us a sense of what it's about and yeah, sort of what the themes are in the book. Introduction. We are afraid of small things, large things, dead things, things that are living and persistent, things that we must do but keep putting off, legal and numerical things, filthy delicious things, so deadly they seem like fun. Things that move gently and in secret. Slow moving things. Ill health. Death. Things like the end of the world. Things that we don't and will never control. Things that will almost certainly happen and things that may not. I see you and I recognize your fear. You see me and you understand mine. We are accustomed to its moving shapes and many sounds and we have been living among each other for far too long not to understand that we have these things in common. Though our specifics vary, our fears are family. When we open our mouths to speak, fear scratches at our throats and then it is carelessly present, turning the air a grim and unremarkable colour. That's where there are times when we avoid each other. You remind me of myself, of my uncertainty and anxiety and all the other painful things that I'm too afraid to look at. When I catch your eye, I am often alarmed at my own tender reflection. Fear itself is hardly the enemy. Fear is, in fact, an excellent indicator of where we are and what we believe to be true. And it's too much to watch it at work sometimes. It's uncomfortable to see the fear escaping our lips, reverberating in the space between us. It's obscuring our view and everything about our lives. And I am tired. And are you tired? Every single day of our lives, we are sold remedies. We are sold all these urgent methods to disguise the fear. So many that we get confused. So many that our heads are spinning and we can't tell our own thoughts from those that are coming from outside. You can't see what you want to do. I can't tell what I want to be or care about. Wherever we go, TV and books and adverts shout out at us about what to do to conquer this fear, what to do to feel more alive how to be good, how to be better, how to survive, how to stay in charge and inside of your body, how to feed and preserve your body, how to dress your body and sell it, how to succeed, leaving others behind in the dust. These hows and how-tos, they're everywhere we look. In every place of retail, fitness, worship and entertainment, these hows are flexible and glossy, they know how to live and they keep getting all of our money. They tell us what to buy and where to buy it. And they sound like promises and they look like lifelines. We're obsessed with them because they are flawless and stylish, fitter and cleaner than us, highly curated and frighteningly relevant. They are political. They do superior activism, think critically, have wonderful social lives, and they know how to organize. We see pictures of them on their backs in impossible sun-filled locations. 
They succeed and they prosper, while the rest of us are simply getting by. Just. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. That's wonderful. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some questions now and we can uh, oh. we have a little conversation. So so let's start at the very beginning, shall we? What yes. my questions here. Let's do it. <laughs> what was the starting point for this book? Was there a specific event that made you start writing this? Where did you write the first page or where do you feel this book began? Honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth. I was, I planned, I don't know about you when you're writing, but I had an idea of what I wanted to write and I think I wanted to move into fiction or something like that. And then the pandemic happened and I was just sitting there depressed, like, oh God, what's happened? Never do and this was just what was in here and this was what came out. So I was in my apartment in Brooklyn just by myself and I just thought, okay, well, this is what seems to be like on my chest, like it's, it's, yeah. it's nothing else. And, and it was because it was the pandemic and we were just we were so online and all I could see were just recipes and how to, you know, all of these, these guides on how to be better. And I don't know about you, but I just felt so drowned by all of the noise. Yeah. And that, this was the response, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a fantastic response. I mean, it's just so, there's just so many beautiful nuggets of amazing advice and wisdom in this book. Like I really was like, Oh, that's a lovely way to put that. Or, and I just really, I just really feel like there was, it's like, you know what it feels like reading your book? It feels like a big sister coming and patting oh, you on the shoulder. That's what I love that. Like. I think that's what, yeah. I think, I mean, I, honestly, I think, I think you're going to have you, how has the response been? When did, when did the book come out? The book came out the beginning of November in over in America and then later on in November in England. So just sort of before the Christmas period. And it's been so lovely. It's it's interesting, you know, when you we, we shift genres all the time or we mix like poetry with other genres. So you always think, Oh God, it's such a departure from what I did before but I guess you know, we, we, we're always shifting and, and responding to what's happening around us. So yeah, it's been lovely. Oh, that's, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But we have to keep shifting and changing, don't we? Because yeah. otherwise we're not growing and learning. You talk about that a lot in the book, actually, don't you? This idea of, you know, being, oh, I know what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the chapters on water and how water changes and grows and moves. And you talk about that a lot. Can you tell the, tell the listeners a little bit about your, your water, your watery, watery um, watery, watery yeah. section, which I'll read yeah. a bit of later because that is actually one of my one of my favorite parts of the book only because it did it, it flowed like that and I think that's because when we write information like that that's coming from somewhere else like we're the vessel and it comes through but it's a chapter called let's talk about the water and it's about you know how rigidity is kind of it goes against what we naturally are. For a start, we're, we're mostly water. So, and water, yeah. goes, water takes the shape of, of whatever contains it. Water shifts, water changes form, you know, and, and us being all made up of, wa of water. Mm. I mean, it, it's, it's an excellent clue. It's an excellent clue to how we have to sometimes behave like the, the, a lot of the natural world that we're surrounded with are the clues in the natural world all the time to how mm. we can flow resistance free even in difficult circumstances so that chapter let's talk about the water is about that it's about you know the arrogance that we sometimes have as human beings just presuming that we know what we are and that what we are will never change and that's just the complete opposite to what we are Oh no! I, I loved that bit. It was really, a, a really, really just insightful and really profound. It was really good. Can you tell I'm a fan of this book yet? Oh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Sorry. <I'll, laughs> okay, so I think of this book as a map. I think of it as a courageous map. I also think it's candid and wise. I found it really nourishing, poetic, philosophical. Basically, uh, like I said earlier, this is the book I wish I'd read as a young poet. Like it would have really given me great comfort and also confidence. So can you talk to us about this map or this journey, how you found your authenticity and how you nurture it? You know, I always, because I never really feel as though I have any kind of answers, not for myself. And I think the times when I'm the most useful in, in any way, uh, as a friend, as a writer, as anything, is when I get out of my way and I spend quiet time in nature or whatever, and I, I get back to source and, you know, we can do that 
a variety of ways. We walk, we meditate, we pray, we do whatever it takes to get us there. And that's when I think something else, like some other intelligence or some babies from the ancestors, I don't know, whatever way you want to look at it, the universe from nature, from, then you allow yourself to, to, to become this clear vessel. You, I think you allow yourself to be inspired by new things. It's a lot like what I was saying about being water. I think, I think the times when I feel the most inspired or, you know, like I've got the most, the most truthful is when I'm less concerned with even writing for people or even responding to something or having something clever to say, because actually I don't. But what I do have, I think, is a is I, I try to have a connection with my source. And, and if I just make sure I'm clear as, as much as possible and I'm, I'm not trying to contrive something, uh, then I can respond to what I'm seeing around me. And, and so it's just a case of respond, responding. I mean, you know, as a, a great poet is responding to what's inside, what what's around, and in some way, just recording it. So we're just recording. We're just making notes of, of what is beautiful and what is present all of the time. Mm. So that and that's what inspires me the most. You know, just just watching and even not knowing. Most of the time, I don't know, but writing about not knowing, I think, because nobody knows. Yeah, yeah, and it's true. Yeah. yeah, and and I think that's I think that's important to always remember that we're we're all sort of students in this, and that's what I find most fascinating as a writer as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. No one's got all the answers, actually. <laughs> God no, God no. <laughs> okay, so now I want to talk about dreams. So, um, can you tell me about your dreams. As um, reading your book, I now believe that you're like me and you really dream vividly. I do. Um, there's a lovely connection to dreams in your book. Can we talk a bit about dreams and dream worlds and dream wishes and dream lives and dream versions of yourselves? Let's talk about dreams for a bit. I, yeah, I love my, oh my God, I love my dreams. I love my dreams. <laughs> I love my life in my dreams. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. And then, you know, th this is the thing as well, because your dreams as well, they contain clues. That I, I don't, like when you write, do you write in the morning or do you write at night? I'm a very early morning writer. I get up yes. at four in the morning. Yeah, same, same. And I call it, honestly, I call it the black hours of the, you know, the, these intense, magical black hours. It's like a box of inspiration yeah. because that's when you're closest to, you know, those things that are hidden away. The things that, by the time, let's be honest, by the time you wake up in the day and you remember all the things you have to be worried about. Yeah. Um, there's so many. It's gone. It's getting further and further and further with every hour you're awake. But when you wake up and, and like, and it's like four, and everything's still dark, and you're there's so there's so much vocabulary, so much wit, so many new ideas, and so much is possible just after after the dream space because you know we dream really intangibly, don't we? About yeah. really yeah. strange things. I really feel like I'm closer to my, my ancestors and ghosts, yes. closer to my real stories and my dream stories. A lot of my poems and a lot of my work comes from dreams. Like sometimes I see my handwriting, so I try and get up and quickly write down what I saw my handwriting in my dream before it goes away. There's also that, that I love watching the light changing and I love seeing, you know, from different times of year as well as through, you know, just seeing the light come. And it's like watching the light come just gives you so much hope. It's like a new day, a new yeah. morning, a new page, a new chance, a new try, another go on it. Yeah, and that's true because life sort of shrinks. Things sort of shrink as the day, as the day goes on. Yeah. So... Were some areas easier to write? Did some areas of the book come like in one sort of big write or were other areas more difficult? Uh, and do you have a favourite part of the book? Yeah, I, as I said, the, the water um, section came, I don't, the water section came really, really easily. Uh, and then the grief section um, came quite easily. I think, well, having lived it and just... It, it was quite visceral. And what was harder? What was the hardest part? You know, it's, it's strange. It all came because they, these are things that I probably haven't worked out and I, I just feel very close to it. So 
it actually was a very it was a very flowy book because it was right there and i was forced in this pandemic space to just sit with myself not the best task or the easiest task but yeah i would say the the section let's talk about the water but also uh, the section before it that is about going out into into the wild, which I'm obsessed with. And when, when I say what, I just mean a park, you know, trees. I'm not talking about any rainforests. If you can get there, great, but most of us can't. So yeah. it, it was called Outside In, and I, I, I found that bit really, I was just so heavily relying on everything that was around like, to stay <laughs> in the game. There's that quote, isn't there, that the that going, I can't remember who wrote it, I do apologise, there's that quote where someone said, and there and there I found that by going outside I was going inside, like this idea of going outside is going inside, and I, yeah, I just, I, I love that, that yeah. you do, you go, you go for a walk and go and just take, that's what I love in your book, you're sort of asking us to remember to take small moments and to look for beauty, and it's just so wonderful to be reminded because we do, we just sort of let things go by. Yeah, because you think about when we think about it in life, it's just a it's just a patchwork of all those moments, and so much. You know, I'll be waiting for. Oh my God, things are gonna be wonderful. Like when I've done this, or when I get this, and forgetting that it's the day to day. You you can't like say I'm gonna have a good time next month when this thing is sorted. It's gonna be now. It it can only be now. Yeah. I mean, we do that a lot, don't we? We say, oh, I'll, when I'm a bit thinner, I'll, I'll wear that. Or when I'm a bit this, that and the other, I'll do this. and that. Yeah, it's, we, we do that, this sort of delayed thing. Why do we do that, do you think? I, d- I really don't know. You know, um, having Jamaican grandparents, we, wouldn't, we would only use good crockery like once a yeah. year. Save you know, it for you know how it is. You, yeah. know, you only use good crockery once a year and you think, wow, you know, we're a long time gone. Yeah. Now that's why to, nowadays I try and I try so hard, but I still have a lot of that still in in me. But I try. I'm like, no, I'm going to enjoy it today because who knows what the circumstances of tomorrow will be. I really remember that saving things for best. Okay, what else was I going to ask you? Actually, it might be time for another little reading. You want to give us another reading? Yes, I'll give you a reading from a short reading from Let's Talk About the Water because this goes on forever. But yeah, here we are. Talk Let's... about that bit. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the water. You move because you must, yes? You move toward a river, a lake, or the sea. You peer down, observing the way the water ripples and refracts the great light above, the way it converses cleanly with air and sky. You find yourself close to the edge of a universe, older and larger than all of us. Water holds all the truth in the world, and yet it changes shape and color adapts from form to form, shifts, freezes, warms, sizzles, evaporates into the atmosphere. Water consistently adapts to survive, and so must we, being all made up of it, salt water and blood and elements of sky. When we were children, we mastered our language by mimicking what we were shown. As soon as we were too old for a thing, we moved on, and we were quick to announce the fact we were tumbling and wild. We couldn't wait to get older. Well, look at us. We got older, didn't we? We stiffened, grew fixed, and frighteningly sure of what we were. And in turn, we reached an age where nobody could tell us anything new about ourselves. We made up all of our stories, constructing them around us like nests. And for a lot of us, this is where we remain, safe and hidden, hiding from other possible truths. We do more damage than we realize by repeating these old irrelevant narratives. We allow long ago plot lines and descriptions that are no longer relevant to define us and set deeper into our bones as fact. We allow them to impair our movement and vision. But the only true sure thing is impermanence. Growth changes the unknown. Observe the water meeting the sky and it always will. Water respects no bounds, stays out of nowhere. Water will flow into every space it is allowed to, wetting the very furthest untouched places, straight into the new spaces and places that you have imagined and allow yourself to continually adjust. That is the essence of the stream itself. We cannot grow if we resist changing shape. Oh, so beautiful. I love that. I love that. Is that the chapter where you set um, the writing task about the stories that we tell ourselves? So I thought that was so yeah. interesting. I think it is because I only read like a quarter of it, but it, 
it's there are so many tasks set in this book mm. um, but yeah yeah it's, it's it's very like it's a very a little instructional um, in, in its tasks but i think do i oh yeah i so i don't know if this is the one but it says like when you when you lie in bed tonight and let's go for a long walk consider a new story so it's think of three core when we allow new water new salt to be formed around the skill and new desire it is a welcome injection think of three core things you think you are not good at or skills you know you don't have aim to look into each of them this month new water have the conversation you have been avoiding new water take active and firm hold of a relationship that no longer serves you and call it what it is new water <laughs> so i don't know if that's the exact one but there's loads of them like that dotted throughout the book yeah so i thought it was so yeah it was just so helpful and just made me really made me start thinking about some of the stories i tell about myself and the way we do that yeah it's interesting really interesting okay so next thing i was going to talk to you about i'm a really big list writer um actually i, I really love lists i have lists i have notebooks specifically for lists and i have lists about lists um i live for lists and make lists constantly to live by lists of things i want to do lists of things i i'd like to do do, lists of things I've got to do which is often yeah. quite not all the same thing and you know and it's so it's my way of sorting out my head I couldn't possibly live without a list you know it's kind of how how I work you recommend um people making lists of things to be grateful for um yeah. is that still is that still something that you do and, and what are some of the things you're grateful for I have to because if I don't I'll be pulled down into thinking everything's crap you know on the days when everything feels like oh but what I try and do is I try to seize the opportunities where I'm just like either feeling really good or feeling just okay. And then I'll, I'll use that, that momentum because it's really hard to get there from like, I, of course, if you feel awful and someone's like, well, write a gratitude list. It's really annoying. Yeah, right. <laughs> really annoying. God, you're just like, oh, shut up. But the the practice, the muscle, I would say, is one of has been one of the most transformative things in my life. Like, it's because there's something that you naturally do if you're doing a gratitude list every day or every other day. There's something that you you naturally do, and that's even when things are difficult, you start becoming more aware of the other things that are working. So even when something isn't working out, it doesn't take up your whole. It's not the whole story. It never is. There's lots of million things always happening at once. And we have a natural, we, we're, we're problem solvers. So we always, we lean toward the negative because we want to, to, we want to call it out. But there is something to be said for also staying on this, this, this vibration of all of the things that are working out. And, and so it helps me. It's, it's just wonders for my mental health to always have that awareness. And when I'm talking about the things that, that make me feel good or things that I have gratitude for. I have things like my health. I have things like my health. I have things like, you know, there's food in the fridge. I yeah. have things like the house is warm. I, I like my apartment, you know, things like that. And, and I have people on there and, you know, because there's always, there are always some things, even if you can get like basic things together, like I love this cup of tea. I'm just, you know what I mean? It's something. So it mm. doesn't really matter what they are, but I like to get about 10. Yeah. Yeah, and then if I forget about them after I go, but you see, you don't really. Your body doesn't forget. They kind of it's kind of starts to get written into you. So that's why I do it as well. For yeah, so talk to me about this. This idea of the body keeping the score or the body knowing. So talk talk to us about that. It really does, right? Because and and I think the simplest way I I think about it is when you you're disappointed or you're stressed or you're angry. What do we have? We have all of these all of these signs in the body like you get hot you get breathless you don't feel too good you know and, and everything I don't, everything is so somatic that's why i think when we when you exercise yes there are endorphins but just the, the movement it, it moves things through your body so i was like okay so if i know just thinking about something can change my body i can do this on purpose the body sometimes doesn't know the difference between like what is real and what's imagined if you feel the same thing uh, so there are things that we can do definitely but that you know to to set about a different feeling in the body particularly if, it, if you're dealing with very negative things i think because the body does suffer it does it does i know how i feel when i've had a lot of negative experiences and it, it makes a difference so I do my best to kind of play with it and to to synthesize a thrill or synthesize excitement until it isn't 
as synthesized because it is really there. Is that like that thing where you can fake a smile and your body thinks it's doing a real smile and it releases yeah. chemicals? So it releases chemicals thinking you're really smiling. Is that how? true? Yeah, but how? But it works. And yeah. How interesting is that? There are, and when you start laughing for no reason, even though it feels silly, you you, you produce that that stuff. And do you do laughing yoga? No, I. You know, I I had a friend who did that, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" And they did it, and it worked. I yeah, just think that's yeah. I mean, I do. Think, I love laughing. I love laughing. I've. I would. I really think I want to try laughing yoga. I love laughing. Why wouldn't that be funny? I think it'd be fun. I think you should do it. I think, I isn't, isn't it weird that as well when we, we know we love something, but we but everything else gets in the way? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, but there is something about laughing is so good for you. So it makes sense. We've got yeah. all this evidence that lets us know that things that you do with your body actually, you know, it makes you healthier. And yet it's yeah. So, yeah. so hard to do them. And it's yeah. easy to yeah. complain. It's easy to complain. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm thinking is, it's just this kind of idea of. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Marquee TV. Marquee TV is an incredible streaming service that is a gateway to arts and culture. With my subscription, I've enjoyed watching some of the Royal Shakespeare Company's most acclaimed productions of recent years, including David Tennant in Richard II and Simon Russell Beale in The Tempest. I've seen multiple productions of The Ring Cycle and Thelonious Monk playing in Brussels in 1963. I've watched Alice in Wonderland at the Royal Opera House and Giselle at La Scala. Marquee TV really is the most accessible way into culture I've ever encountered and a treasure trove for any arts lover. You can try it for three months for just 99p. Yep, three months for 99p with the code HOWTO. Just visit marquee.tv and use the promo code HOWTO to dive into the world of the arts like never before. Being optimistic as being sort of revolutionary, being kind of rebellious, like I dare to be, I dare to seek happiness, I dare to seek beauty. Yeah! That's what I'm trying to get to, yeah. It's bloody hard now, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. Because everything is reminding you of people said the wrong thing, people did the wrong thing. Let's be, you know, angry and mad at this person, and let's be. And it's it. There is so, we are so skewed towards the negative. And I'm not talking about um, toxic uh, positivity because that's no use either. You know, we have mm. to be real about what's going on. But there are so many ways of looking at a thing, and so many ways of. We have to be mindful of of what we take in. So I do I do think it's a rebellion now, sadly, to move towards the negative. In some spaces, it's actually people are looking at you like, what? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. It's like that. So I understand why why you would say that. And I do. It's yeah. You almost feel as though there's a sense of um, people maybe thinking that you're not being the most realistic when you think about things in a positive way. Yeah, or they kind of tell you that you're being idealistic. Yeah, yeah. As if that's a bad thing. Yeah, as if it's a bad thing. Idealism, as if it's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. Because one of them is fruitful for new ideas to take space and for solutions. But if you're, if you're, you're not on the vibration for a solution if you're in the negative, it's not possible. Yeah, you yeah. Can't, you can't do two opposite things, you know. That's it. That's it. You can't be all closed shop. It is no boise blue. You can't yeah. be all like that. And then, and then you sort of just shut the gate. Nous sommes possible. Yeah, it sort of makes me feel like that. I don't know why I do it in a French accent, but that's yeah, what it feels like. <laughs> it sort of reminds me of that. This idea of kind of closed gates. Yeah. But yeah. And yeah. I think we can't get to where we want from there. I understand that we we've had to do it to keep ourselves safe, or because we don't want to be disappointed. But the, the truth is, you you have to be open uh, to mm. to get new water or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, your book your book's full of that, and it's just so it just really sort of packs a punch. Um, okay, which do you prefer, writing or performing? Ooh. Well, too much, yeah, go on. <laughs> too, too much, you know what? Too much writing and just being on your own isn't great. <laughs> I love performing. Performing is what you know. I was performing before I was writing. I think that no, I think I think it's both. I think they've got to fold into another because you need people. Yeah, you want to be on your own in the house, you know, having these I, thoughts and ideas, and it's nice. Even the process of writing sometimes isn't. <laughs> 
not the most fun all the time, is it? You're just no. letting it come out. But performing when it meets the air is beautiful. Yeah, I, yeah, never, yeah. I never don't enjoy performing. I sometimes don't enjoy writing. <laughs> yeah. And I think with both of them, I like the feeling when I've done writing. And I, right. like, and I like the feeling when I've done a gig. <laughs> uh, oh, I like the party time. <laughs> yeah, no, the party time is fun. But do you like the feeling, and before it is a bit like, but do you yeah. like the feeling during the gig? Um, not, I think the loneliest time of my life is the one second before they say my name. You know, when you're standing in the wings and about to go on stage. I that think it's the loneliest, weirdest moment. My little heart's going, do, 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 do. Yeah. And then, and then there's that silence and then it's just your footsteps going on. The <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you stand there and it's like real quiet. Yeah. There's something, there's something just amazing about that moment. Um, I do love performing. I there's room, there's room for both. And I wouldn't do just one. I couldn't choose to do just one. Yeah. 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 yeah because just one with that, it's like two halves of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Well, it really is because I think when we started out as girls, I'm imagining you were like me. You're kind of like writing in your bedroom for hours, yeah. you know, and, you know, reading it out. And the only person that hears it is the wallpaper and, and the seagull out the window. Yeah. yeah. So you have to start, you have to start gigging so that you're not just reading yeah. to the mirror anymore or whatever. What were you like as a teenager, actually? Were you in your room, bedroom writing for hours? I should have been. Uh, <laughs> it would have been better than what I was doing, believe me. But no, I mean, like, I it was really tumultuous in my household and everything. So I I kind of wrote, wrote and wrote and wrote up until about 13. Then I had like, a, quite a gap um, because I was busy, you know, trying to do everything else. Yeah. You know, trying to get, in my, trying to get my head right. And then I, I started again in my, I would say... I would say 18, because I wrote a, a book when I was 18. It was terrible, but I, I wrote it, mm -hmm. and then I, start, I started again, yeah. Right, right. Well, yeah, okay, no, I think I was, yeah, I was a, I was a little a little crazy kid, I think, as a teenager, really willful. But I would, this book would have just saved my life. I hope loads of young girls that are like us read it. Okay, so going back to the idea that because you're a performer and a writer, it made perfect sense that you would do the audio book and do such a good job. Can you tell everyone a little bit about that, about the audio book? And because your voice is just beautiful. It's just like, yeah, it's just so gorgeous. It's really, Thank really well done audio book. I love doing audio books. I love doing it because I love listening to audio books and a great reader of an audio book will make my entire life. And I love audio books. They're my little friends for when I'm walking around New York and, you know, when I have a long car journey or something. I just love them. I have them on when I'm cleaning, everything. So it follows that I would want to do my audio, but don't want anyone else to read it. So, yeah, I, I love I really enjoy it. You're in a little booth on your own. You just, you've got your water, your cup of tea. You're just reading your book all day. I mean, what's not to love? So, yeah, I enjoy. Do you enjoy doing it as well? Yeah, I did. I, I did the audio book for Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, um, and I really enjoyed that. And um, and I did the audio book for my memoir. That was a bit harder because that was very personal stories, some of them not happy stories. So that one was more hard work, but Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death was more fiction and more acting, and, yeah, I enjoyed that. So what books are you reading? Do you have any book recommendations for us? Oh, my God. Where do I begin with book re recommendations? I've got so – oh, my God, I've clicked on something. I, I have so many – but I've just read um, um, Helen Yemi's uh, Mr. Fox, which I really liked. I love – Jeanette Winterson um, novels. I just love them. I love how they, they move through space and time. And you're just like, what? What's going on? Like, who's speaking to who? And then it changes. So, like, Sex in the Cherry. I, I, one of my favorite ones by her is um, Written on the Body. I love that book. I love Toni Morrison's book. I love Alice Walker. Alice Walker is the first sort of writer that spoke to me as a young girl. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because of the subject matters and how how strong yeah. and, and deep they were. Yeah. And I thought, God, if, if, if she can write about those things, it kind of gave me permission because there were so many, you know, I'm a shy, I'm like very introverted. So writing is my space that I come into to 
sort of bare myself or to you know talk about weird things or whatever i feel very comfortable in that space so when i saw what she was writing in the color purple and by the light of my father's smile books like that i was like okay yeah this is what i want and she's an aquarius yeah like, yeah i get yeah is yeah. she? Yeah, yeah, I think it was cool. I think it was, her, it was a combination of her and Maya Angelou. Um, they were really, and I remember reading why the cage. I know why the cage bird sings. Yeah, that book. And do you know what else was a really big influence on me as a, a sort of young brown girl looking for other brown women, or one, however you want to put it? Was I had a vinyl of Whoopi Goldberg doing stand up, and it is so rude. She's just like so, like full on swearing all the way through it. It's like 1980s, her doing her stand up on vinyl. And she's even ruder than all the boys were. She was so, she was such a potty mouth. <laughs> like, I love what I love that. So there's a strong sense of survival in this book. Do you see yourself as a survivor too? Survival to bloody everything. Um, yeah, I mean, who isn't? Who isn't? Yeah. Um, I definitely am not someone who identifies myself with any sort of uh, trauma or suffering. It's just not, I'm not saying it's, it's a bad thing to be. It's just, just not, doesn't work for me because again, always take um, shifting and changing shape, but it doesn't mean you forget, you know, yeah. but rather it's like a dazzling reminder of, of what we, what we can do and what we can what we can be as humans. And so, yeah, I, I see myself, I would say I see myself as um, someone who's experienced, just someone who is experienced. And, and that, that goes a long way in, um, as an artist, it does. There's so, you've got this like big, all of these colors with which to, to, to paint the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I think this book's amazing and I want all, all the young girls, I'm going to be suggesting it and recommending it all over. All over, I am, I am. Okay, so now we're going to have a little look and see if there's some questions in the chatty, boxy bit. Oh, here's one. I loved the how. It spoke to me. How do you find the inspiration to write so beautifully, truthfully and honestly in such a way that it resonates so deeply with your audience? I think that what is important to one person is generally important to another person and that we are all more similar than we realize. And I think whenever I get the opportunity to be honest about the deep, dark things going on in here, then usually somebody else will be like, yeah, you know, I think that as well. There's nothing, I don't think I have much that's unique. I, I don't, I think that we're all going through the same things within, you know, relatively because they're different places of the world and there are different concerns. Yeah. But I, yeah, why, why does it resonate? Because we're all here having, a, you know, human experiences and that's the most important thing at all with, of all when it comes to storytelling is just, you know, try and be as, as honest as possible. Even when you're writing fiction, there's an honesty in that and that's what I think is powerful. Mm. Mm. Good answer. Well done. Okay, here comes another one. You said that you wrote the book during lockdown at first for yourself. Did you find it difficult publishing something which was originally so personal? That's a good question. Mm, you know, there was an element of difficulty, but not because it's personal, because really I let go of that stuff as soon as it's out in the air. It doesn't really belong to me anyway. It belongs to like whoever's going to read it. And they're not thinking about me, thinking about them. So yeah. that's, all, that's all gone. But just because of the time it was and, and the lack of sort of wanting to move and all of the, the very stagnant feelings that came with the early pandemic, that was a little tricky. So I was like, oh, I've got this book. Then I was like, shit, I'm going to write this book now. And then the, my, um, you know, the, the publishers are like, so when's your draft? I'm like, writing like this. <laughs> you know, so, that, so there's, there's that. And I think it was just more, yeah, the mental difficulty of, of, of sort of still making something at a time like that. Because um, it was flowing through, but it was also, yeah, it's, it was also personally a difficult time for everybody. Mm. I think there was so much, there was so much stagnancy because we couldn't go outside, we couldn't be around people we loved. So that's where the difficulty was for me, but not because it was personal, because really I, I don't mind writing about the personal. Great. Okay, here comes another one. Do you think the book should be read in one sitting, in order, or can we drop in and out? That's a good question. Do you, you want can drop to drop in and out, yeah. 
absolutely drop in and out yeah you just drop it in yeah i think we you can you could probably read it you could probably read it backwards i think yeah wherever you feel like you want to start start there obviously there's an intro and there's an ending letter but other than that you know you take it and and i think yeah a lot of people say they don't read it chronologically and some people might read it in a sitting i'm, I'm a reading a sitting kind of person but there's also something to be said by taking it really really slowly as well yeah yeah good 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 okay here comes another question oh which caribbean writer inspires you and why oh god do you know do you, do you know i was really 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 inspired like to the point of standing inside <laughs> probably knows as well which is a bit embarrassing but in my early myspace days i used to like write like write loads of um like was it private? Those so some messages you did on MySpace. Anyway, I'm showing my age now. Uh, Benjamin Zephaniah. Oh. I, I was like, oh my god! I'm so. I was just obsessed. I was just obsessed, and it was before I really thought that poetry could be possible for me. Yeah, you know, I, I knew that I wrote poetry, but I didn't know how to get my work seen and known. And I just saw someone doing it who I just thought was so powerful. And so I would say, actually, he's probably. Of them, on there are many, but I would say, yeah, maybe him. Yeah, I think he's probably, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, he's amazing. I think he's probably one of the first sort of British, I think probably the first one I saw on TV as a, a British, yeah. British Jamaican kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. good and answer. At, and at school, I didn't learn, I didn't see and learn black writers at all. At school, I, 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 I there were, not, there were none on the syllabus. So when I saw, you know, like with his locks and everything like that, I was like, yo, this is this is powerful. Yeah, that's it. When I was at school, we were taught um, Elizabeth Jennings and and kind of, yeah, we weren't, there was no, no Caribbean writers on the syllabus. Elizabeth Jennings, for God's sake. Anyway, how do you think we can make poetry possible for more people? How do you hope our cultural attitude towards poetry will change? How do you think we can make poetry possible like, for more people? Like stop, mm. stop only teaching boring poetry. I shouldn't say boring. It's lots of different types. But you know, stop it, stop it, because you 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 ruin a whole genre by turning it into this boring thing on a school syllabus and not including like like weird and wonderful. Um, poets or poets of colour or you know, I just don't understand in this day and age why it's still these syllabuses still have this just archaic language we have to move with the times we have to move with language and also to experiment more with form so we know that um, kids use a lot of social media now everything's online so attention spans are not what they were so there are things that we can do with um, the form how we present it and start start using that you know there's multimedia there's there's music there's all kinds of things i mean we know we, we we experiment with all of those things so i do not know why why we're still using like em employing in places of learning especially for younger children making it so inaccessible you yeah. make anything accessible people aren't going to want it so different poetry <laughs> Were they going to take poetry off the school syllabus completely, I think, or, or there was talk about it. So, I mean, they're already kind of, so I think, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of politics and a lot of uh, rebellion lives in poetry and a lot of, of those voices. And so they were trying to sort of maybe sort of dampen that a little bit, you know, this kind of idea of only, you know, reading poetry from a hundred years ago of old wars and old dead men instead I'm of just like what's happening now. Yeah, and then seven seven stanzas about a bird or something like that. And it's just like, God, I love words, but, you know, most of that stuff I can't read. <laughs> well said. Okay, here we go. Do you write a journal or anything? I write. Yeah, I mean, I write a journal that I have. My journal's really public. It's Is on it my a journal or a diary or a... It's, um, what do I even call it? It's like an online spell book stroke newsletter stroke. And I just write down whatever I think. It's uh, it's called The Utter and it's uh, it's on a Substack. It's like my name. It's yesterdailyward.substack.com. And I write it twice a week. And whatever is occurring to me that morning, even if it's not grammatically correct, there's errors in it, I just put it out because it also stops me from having 
this weird perfectionism in my work and I do yeah it, it, it challenges me because I know I've got my readers and I'm like ah what have you what are you even pressing publish on but yeah I do um it's like a more it's like morning pages but it's on it's on it's online and very very accessible do you ever write by hand sometimes I so in when I'm doing like a more traditional because I love notebooks and pens mm. when I'm doing like a more traditional morning page thing um, yeah, I do. I'll, I'll do the three pages and just a continuous flow. It's why I get a lot of like the, the weird ideas. Have you got a favourite pen? I have at the moment. My pen's my pen at the moment. I know this looks boring, but it actually no. I've got this one as well. This is my Parker pen, which is which is I love it. And then this pen that looks boring, and I just got it off like Amazon or somewhere is also great. So these are my two current favourites. Okay. I used to love fountain pens, but it just got, I can't organise myself. The cartridge just ran out. It's a mess. So I just deal with the, these two now. Okay. Oh, this is a nice question. Would you describe yourself as spiritual? How does your understanding of the non-physical influence your understanding of the world? I think I have tremendous um, faith in the non-physical. I have to. That's where I get a lot of my stuff from. I think I don't think about it too much in terms of what's possible and what isn't, but I feel things very intensely. You know, I was brought up in a really, 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 really religious environment um, right. with my grandparents, and you know that stuff doesn't leave you. Sometimes it just changes into something that's more that's it's just just a bit more. It works better for me. But yeah, that deep sense of, of belief, faith, and and just uh, an acceptance in in what what is and what is bigger than me that that's huge. That's not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that I think that really shines in this book. This kind of spirituality. It's very rich. I think yeah. you can really get that sense in there. Yeah. So let yeah. me see if there's any more questions. What's your favorite? Oh, yeah, food. What's your favorite Caribbean or Nigerian dish, and can oh, you cook? I can. I can. <laughs> I want to know about this as well. <laughs> I can. I can cook. Um, and my favorite. Oh, this is. I love rice. Look, there's nothing better to me than rice and peas. And because I'm not big on meat, but I'm not like I'm not repelled by it either. Rice and peas, either cooked it, it cooked in like um an ital stew or like I can even do like an oxtail stew just like I just love rice and peas I love it I love it it's home and it's what I'm brought up on it was it's what I ate many days a week and there's just nothing to me I'm in uh, Brooklyn now around the corner it's an amazing place that I, I order from a lot and, and fish and, and steamed fish and all of that stuff. I used to hate ackee when I was a kid. I love ackee. I love all of the stuff. Aki, yeah, I love, I love ackee. And I didn't know my Nigerian roots as much growing up because I didn't know my father. But then when I started to get into my 20s, I had Nigerian friends and I got into the food. But I can't, I wouldn't say that I really know how to cook jello in the way, in the proper way, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, I do like Nigerian food too. But Jamaica is my that's that's my home food you know yeah yeah well oh, same that smell of the rice cooking rice and pea cooking downstairs what's your dish oh i love cooking i like cooking all sorts of things i like cooking like i like making soups and i like making curries i like making pies um i make a really nice banana cake and I make all because I make all sorts of things. You should come round sometime. I would love to come for the banana cake. Yeah, I'd love to come for the banana cake. Yeah, it's a bit more like a pudding, really. It's so like rich. <laughs> like, yeah, it's nice. It's really nice. I might have rice and peas today. Now we've talked about. Yeah, I know. I fancy some now too. <laughs> it's funny how we get so suggestible. It's yeah. like I really want rice and peas now. Yeah, especially. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll check. There's another another question. We might have time for one more short one. Oh, good, 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 good. I meant to ask you this. What are you working on now? What's coming next? We love this one. We want more. What's coming next? You know what? It's another book, but it's, again, nothing like the other three. It's like my feet are in the fiction. So I'm enjoying this ride, this, ride, this wild ride that this, this new book is taking me on because it is a wild ride. 
So, I, you know, all kinds of things are going on. And I'm in that early stage. You know, you're bringing sand, you're just all of the sands coming in. You haven't refined it yet. You just have all of the everything uh, moving around. This is the most exciting part for me because everything else, as you know, after that can be a bit like, yeah, this is the wonderful moment. So, yeah, I'm working on a new book and always just doing a thousand different things because that's the way I like to live or I get bored. So, yeah. yeah. Good, good, good. And um, what um, are you going to be doing? Any more things with like you did with the Beyonce thing when you did? I, I would love to. That was know, so I, amazing, by the way. Oh thank my god, you. that's incredible. Yeah, I love, words, I love putting words to visuals, so I'm always down. To, I, I I think it's you know as storytellers, we want to be in as many different sort of media forms as possible because it's really exciting. So I, I I love work like that, and yes, you know my plans are to 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 do lots in film and and TV and and yeah and, and move move books onto the screen and and do all that absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, I'll be here waiting, watching, yes. watching, waving, waving <laughs> flags. Thank you so much for chatting to me and letting me letting me ask all those questions. Let me just check. People are saying thank you. Amazing. We love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This week's show starred Selena Godin and Ursa Daly-Ward. Their conversation was produced by Esme Bright and the series is produced by me, Vas Christodoulou and Dana Outcult. The editor is John Doughty. If you love culture, psychology, well-being, poetry, please subscribe to the series if you don't already. We have so much great stuff coming up in the next few weeks, including Alan Moore on imagination, Anne Patchett on her life in literature, and even Richard Dawkins on whether the angels painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel would be capable of flight. And if that's not enough for you, we have nightly live and live stream events with the cultural icons and leading thinkers of our time. Find out who at howtoacademy.com. See you next week. And thanks for listening.